kind of narrative often takes up a little bit too much space in our collective minds about what it means to experience schizophrenia. However, I think what we're missing here when when we do see things like this happening is that these people who are experiencing schizophrenia and houselessness or and addiction or substance use are ultimately people who are falling through the cracks of our mental health care system. The stigma that we are ultimately putting on them with our you know, negative assumptions and judgments about why they're living on the street or what it means to be living on the street is ultimately feeding this cycle of them not being able to access help through the mental health care system and the stigma that they face within that healthcare system as well. And it's just kind of this awful cycle that largely is perpetuated by stigmatized understandings of what's happening. Another thing that kind of gets overblown within our societal understanding of it is violence as it pertains to schizophrenia. A lot of news stories and whatnot that we hear about about someone who's living with schizophrenia tend to have to do with some sort of violent act that was committed while the person was in psychosis. And I'm not going to, you know, lie and say this doesn't happen at all because it does. But I think that we really overemphasize this as an occurrence for people who are living with schizophrenia in the news and in media and whatnot. And that's a problem. I think more often than not, people who are living with schizophrenia are you know, more violent to themselves, unfortunately, than to other people. And this often takes the form of increased suicide attempts or dying by suicide. Suicide is another really highly stigmatized thing within our society. And so this is just kind of another way where we're kind of loading on and layering the stigma that someone with schizophrenia is experiencing. There has been more and more talk as of late about changing the name of schizophrenia to, you know, try to eliminate or reduce some of the negative stigma that is kind of imbued in it. And I'm not sure where I land on this issue, but there is definitely stigma inherent in just how we talk about schizophrenia, the names we give it, and the terms that we use. Psychosis is something that is often talked about as it pertains to a person's experience of schizophrenia. And I think oftentimes people kind of hear the term psychosis and assume psychopath or psychotic. And I guess psychotic is a proper term to be used for when someone is experiencing psychosis, but I think there's a lot of negative assumptions and misunderstandings inherent in what that means. First of all, psychopath, which a lot of people jump to, is a completely different thing, its own stigmatized thing, but just not what schizophrenia is. Schizo in schizophrenia has also kind of been come to be understood as dissociative identity disorder or what used to be referred to as multiple personality disorder. People often hear schizophrenia and they think, oh yeah, like multiple personalities. And that is so far from what it actually is. And I guess dissociative identity disorder, again, is its own stigmatized thing, but they're very different. And so I think just more education is needed around all of these stigmatized concepts and terms. It kind of seems like the term schizo has kind of become a bit of a derogatory term for really anything that is unpredictable or unstable in nature. And that's obviously problematic. And then there's also language around the ways in which we treat schizophrenia. Largely what people who are living with schizophrenia take to manage their schizophrenia are antipsychotic drugs. And so this you know, idea of people who are living with schizophrenia having to be medicated with antipsychotics is kind of an alarming term for people who may not know much about it. 
And to take that a step further, often people who are living with schizophrenia take antipsychotics in the form of an injection or a depot. And this can be, you know, even more of a stigmatized conception about, you know, being medically injected with antipsychotics to be able to be out in the world. That, that narrative around this can be a really stigmatizing one. Now, before I go any further, I just want to take a minute to ask you to please hit that like button. It really helps with the YouTube algorithm so that more people see this video. Ultimately, the way to reduce stigma is through education and awareness. And that is what we're trying to do with this video. And so the more people who see it, the better. Thank you for your help. So the next big topic that I want to tackle in this video is I think the most important one, and that is around self-stigma or internalized stigma. And so that is kind of what I was talking about back at the beginning of this video about what I was feeling when I first learned that I was being diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder, where I had all of these internalized understandings of what schizophrenia meant from messages that I was being fed from society as a whole. Part 11, schizoaffective disorder. Mental health professionals currently believe that schizoaffective disorder is a kind of schizophrenia diagnosis difficult because symptoms of schizophrenia disorder include mood disorder. In schizophrenia, it is present similar to that of schizophrenia disorder. Treatment for including antipsychotics, antidepressants, medications, evaluations, electroconvulsive therapy, psychological, and psycho, psycho, psychosocial, and counseling and support from family friends. About schizophrenia systems of schizophrenia disorder cause schizoaffective disorder and an unknown diagnosis of schizoaffective disorder. It is difficult to diagnose schizoaffective disorder, treatment options, schizoaffective where to get help. Schizoaffective disorder is two mental illnesses, schizophrenia and a mood disorder. For me, it's bipolar and schizophrenia which combines to make it schizoaffective. The main types of the associated, the associated disorder, mood disorder is bipolar, characterized with any modes of manic and depressive episodes, unbipolar. Disorders of schizoaffective disorder are classified into two subtypes of disorder. Depressive type, mental health professionals currently believe that schizoaffective disorder is a kind of schizophrenia. Depressive type is where where you maybe instead of maybe being manic, psychotic, when the disability is controlled. That was my thought up top. Estimates suggest that many three people diagnosed with schizophrenia actually have schizoaffective disorder. Diagnosis is difficulty because symptoms of schizoaffective disorder are similar to schizophrenia, bipolar disorder. I am glad my doctor came up with the right diagnosis includes that I have great doctors. The symptoms of this schizoaffective disorder can include psychotic symptoms, losing touch with reality, hallucinations, delusions, disorganized thoughts, chiropractor speech, chaotic, chaotic speech, behaviors, anxiety, empathy, blank, officially, expansion, irritability. This just, this happened to me in 2016 and arguably just recently, but not as bad is the first one. Manic increased social rep 
bid thoughts and speech exaggerated self-esteem reduced needs for sleep the impulsive behaviors such as speeding or express or quick charges mood such as happiness to anger sexual risk of activities can occur that was my thought depressive symptoms low motivation fatigue concentration headache low self-esteem suicidal thoughts loss of appetite insomnia low self-esteem suicidal thoughts and insomnia are what i struggle with most mental health experts believe schizoaffective disorder is a variation of schizophrenia but the exact cause of remains unclear currently thought theory that schizoaffective disorder is triggered by a range of factors working combinations include susceptibility the genetics can be factors for me unless my grandpa had it i don't know of anybody else that had it in my family environmental factors such as stress environment stress have to do with most disabilities a factor of school and other activities that you may have been anxious with in the past different brain chemicals neurotransmitters and NAMI also has their health line you can look that up here is a link according to this website this is Sam Vaughn for Sam's Mental Health Day and Sam's Sports Report Tonight, we've got Thursday Night Football. It'll be the Bears who stand at 1-4. And, and the big commanders stand at 1-4. The Bears stand at 2-3. Kickoff is at 7-15. Washington by 1. Um, she's core faculty at Michigan for the Center for Social Epidemiology and Population Health. And we're thrilled to have her today. So um, I'll hand it over to Professor Smith. Great, thank you for that introduction. And um, again, I'm really sorry I couldn't be there in person. Uh, let me get my slides started here. Okay, can you see the slides okay? Okay. Yes. Um, yeah, so I'm sorry I couldn't be there in person. I, I told everyone that I'm still gonna come. So if you were planning on meeting with me, um, keep planning on that. Uh, in terms of, um, in terms of by way of introduction, that was that was perfect. I really do a lot in genetics and epigenetics, um, especially in cardiovascular disease and in dementia. And I'm um, I'm really really interested in the way that the the social factors kind of interface with genetics and um, biology. So um, again, I'm happy to be here, and also happy to take any questions if you have burning questions as we go, or we can answer at the end. So. Today I'm going to talk about um, cardiometabolic disparities, and um, just by way of outline, um, I'm just going to introduce a little bit about disparities in cardiometabolism, and then uh, talk about epigenomics um, and specifically DNA methylation, just to give kind of a brief introduction to that. And then I'll talk through some research that we've done in terms of um, population-based studies to address some of the relevant research research questions that we have in the field of social epigenomics. And so I'll talk about things like epigenetic clocks, um, epigenome-wide association studies, and some work we've been doing on um, mediation of uh, between social factors and um, cardiometabolic risk factors. Um, what is the epigenome mediating in terms of that relationship? 
and then um, end with challenges in future directions. So um, to start, I want to briefly go over, you know, what is meant by the term cardiometabolic diseases. So cardiometabolism really represents a broad metabolic and cardiovascular profile that affects multiple organ systems, um, especially the heart, um, so cardiovascular disease, the pancreas and diabetes, the kidneys um, with chronic kidney disease, and the liver with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And the, the disease processes in each of these organ systems affect those around them as well. So it's sort of um, an interrelated set of conditions. And when we think about this, a lot of times it's presented where there's this set of core risk factors, including things like age, um, family history, which could mean a lot of things. Um, we think about genetics, but it can also mean um, culture or environmental factors that uh, tend to cluster in families. Um, healthy habits, uh, which are important because first of all, they're modifiable potentially. Um, and they can include things like health behaviors like smoking, alcohol use, diet and exercise. Um, also 